The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. This is John 11, 1 through 6. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. His brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of man may be glorified, the son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he said that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you have appointed that this would be recorded in history. These were actual events that happened. That Lazarus was actually raised from the dead. God, help us to see your sovereignty in this passage. Help us to see your goodness Help us to see that you're all about your glory. And God, you've shown that through the person of Jesus. God, help us to see that you are pursuing us, that you are loving us, that you have an incredible love for your people and you wanna bring dead people to life. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in power this morning. You would speak through Tim. Um, his words would be from you and that we would be encouraged this morning. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Billy. So good morning, Grace City. Um, it is awesome to be here. Um, I have a little bit of a history in church planting, so I actually was a part of a church planting team in the East Coast in a place called Annapolis, Maryland, east of D.C., and that started, um, wow, six years ago, um, and as uh, we've seen God move there, uh, God actually uh, uprooted me and my wife and moved us out to here to California and as uh, God has transferred us here, it's just been this a natural relationship that God has created in our heart to want to see more churches like Grace City uh, planted all across San Diego County. And so it's kind of a fun thing that I get to do where uh, we get to just cheerlead and uh, say, you go, get them, and uh, be a part of this uh, team together, because really there's only one church um, in San Diego, and that's God's church. And so we may be at different locations, different um, kind of tasks, different histories, but we're all on the same team. And so it's been a really fun journey with Randall and Laura and with Billy and Mary just to get to kind of see what God has done in them and what God is moving here and doing here. And some of you may or may not know a couple of uh, families here actually are either kids or sometimes grandkids of people that may have even grown up at FCC. See, at FCC, our church is 60 plus years old. I wasn't there when we started, obviously, but somebody started FCC uh, back in the 1950s. And um, I kind of like to put it this way. Uh, our story is one like Abraham and Sarah, if you remember that story. They didn't have kids until they're real, real old. And a lot of people kind of maybe looked at them and gone, you're you're pregnant? What's, what's up with that? And um, that's kind of what FCC is going on right now. As, as, as an old established church, God has continued to breathe new life in us. And one of the ways he does that is just allowing us to be a part of seeing new churches birthed. 
Um, I'm real proud of uh, Randall. Him and I uh, were talking a couple days ago about his uh, run, and uh, he's going back to kind of where I went to high school and uh, college, and my younger brother lives right there in Ohio. And uh, I was just cheering him on and saying, you can do it. The 13 miles, that's easy. It's the point one that will get you. So you got to make sure you finish strong. And so they did. I'm real proud of that as well. This morning, uh, we're going to be starting off a new series and as this series starts, um, we're going to be in John 11 for this series. So again, if you have a Bible, turn to that. I think there's um, also notebooks out here. If you're a note taker, you can grab one of those. And the scripture we read this morning kind of ends with a little bit of cliffhanger, but don't worry. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, this morning, I want to tell you about something that maybe some of you have heard, maybe some of you haven't. It's called a chiasm. Uh, Yes, I said chiasm, um, not named after Randall and Laura's son, apparently, but um, it's actually a chi is a, a Greek letter that looks like our letter X. And a chiastic structure for those who are English speaking and English majors out there like my wife, um, it is a poetic structure. And um, out of all of the writers of the New Testament, John uses chiasms a whole, whole lot. So I'm going to put up this thing on the screen, and if you're taking notes, uh, don't freak out. You don't have to write all of this down. It's just an example, okay? So <laughs> this is an example of a chiasm. See, John starts his whole gospel with this chiastic structure. It starts off with um, verses 1 and 2 that then mirror in verse 18, and it all kind of comes down to the main focal point and then out of the main focal point. Sometimes it's used to compare and contrast. Um, sometimes it's to kind of reiterate something, um, and it makes a whole lot more sense if we think about the central theme of that verse specifically being that those who do believe in him become children of God, and that is really what John wants us to get. And this is something that Jewish writers would use to help people kind of get to the heart of God. The heart of what God means. And, and you'll see this a lot in the Psalms as well. That as the psalmist wrote, they would write with this poetry that would kind of help maybe take off some of the extra layers in order to get to the heart. And then out of the heart of God, um, we would see what we are supposed to take action on. And so this morning, I want to tell you that um, actually John 11 is also a chiasm. It has a chiastic structure. For those who are not English majors in the room, I will give you a simple illustration to help us out. Um, a few years back, um, I have uh, two little kids, and, and my daughter, she was about a year, maybe two years old, and um, somebody invited us and said, hey, we have free Disney tickets. And I said, that sounds like the right price to me. Um, let's work this out. So it started by him and I uh, talking and say, hey, let's get our families together and go to Disney. So it started with talking. And then um, I didn't know this, but apparently he didn't tell his kids. Um, I had told our daughter and he had not told his kids. And so our families are riding together. And I'm like, oh, no, please don't say something. Please don't say something. Please don't say something. And there's this interesting ride up to Disney together. And then we did Disney. Anyone been to Disney? Okay, yes. Oh, I know. Um, it's that exciting. Um, as a 28-year-old, um, you might go, okay, Disney. But, but for kids especially, you're like, this is awesome. And then you have to do what? You have to drive back from L.A. Um, and some of you have done that before. And so, right? So let's follow this along. Okay, talking about it. We rode together, Disney. 
Then we ride together, and then ever since then, we've talked about this shared experience. That's an example of a chiasm. Was the ride the main thing? No, the driving was definitely not the main thing. Was the talking about it the main thing? Well, we do a lot of talking, but no, that was not the main thing. The main thing was the Disney experience. This might kind of blow your mind, but um, John 11 is a chiasm. And in this chiastic structure, John chooses to use it because actually some suggest that the entire book of John is a chiastic structure, meaning that chapter 1 is reflected in chapter 21. In the middle of the chiasm of the book of John is in chapter 11. This might blow your mind a little bit more or confuse you. I'm not sure. This chapter 11 of John could actually be a chiasm of chiasms of chiasm, okay? Now, before I lose all of you with that saying, um, is basically say that the heart of God is found here in the middle of John, chapter 11, and it's the central theme of all of John, and John is actually the central theme of all of Scripture, okay? So again, I'll take you through this without getting too kind of um, heady here, is the beginning of the Bible starts with what? The beginning, right? And the end of the Bible is what? The end, all right? I know it's rocket science. We can, we can do this, all right? So you have the beginning and the end, and it all comes down to this central point of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what we do with it. The Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says about the resurrection is, is all of our faith is hinged upon this moment. So I want to look at those first six verses again. We'll go ahead and put it up on screen. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary, it was Mary, not Billy and Mary, but it was Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick and was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's actually going to be mentioned in chapter 12. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death, notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And we're going to jump to verses 25 and 26 now. So this is actually the middle of the chiasm, if you will. It says this, Jesus said to her, and he's talking to Martha at this time, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That is the central theme. This is the heart of God in this passage. And I believe the heart of God in all of Scripture. And then we're going to read the rest of the story, the kind of other end of the chiasm. Starting in verse 28, it says this. Now, uh, verse 28, it starts with, And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. 
when the Jews who were uh, with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come to her with, also, with her also weeping, excuse me, he was weeping, uh, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Now, you can do this uh, fun little thing as we go through. I've never done this before. Um, I'm going to try to preach chiastically today. Uh, what you can do is you can kind of take a look at the beginning verses of chapter 11, and then on the other side, look at the ending verses. And you're going to see some interesting things. We'll start with verse 1. Sickness has come to Lazarus. Now, just to kind of uh, to warn you without kind of giving away the story, Lazarus doesn't end up dead, right? Okay, so even though the beginning, right, is sickness, um, the flip side is what? Life. Resurrection. And maybe sickness doesn't seem that bad to us, but as some of us might know, if you think about ancient times, you're kind of rolling the dice when you got sick. Because you may or may not recover. Like a common cold back in the day when there was no NyQuil, man, it was rough, okay? And so sickness back then was taken much more seriously than it is today. This is a sickness, specifically in this case, that does lead to death. And we don't know how serious it was or what the symptoms, the point of this story is not to try to make a doctor out of us to figure out Lazarus. The point of this is to let us know what resurrection is. This is a, actually a, a good parallel to our sin. See, Scripture um, talks about sin as something that ultimately leads to death. And guess what? All of us have this problem. It doesn't seem that bad to us sometimes, but if we knew that it was leading to death, maybe we would take it a little bit more seriously. The story starts off with this need, Right? And the need is ultimately fulfilled, but as we go through the story, we realize there's a sense of lostness. There's a sense of, what is God going to do with this? How could God touch this? How could he heal this? 
And maybe we've noted this through the story, but it seems like it gets worse before it gets better. Verse 2, Mary uh, is described, the, the one who does this thing for Jesus. Have you noticed this? She's given this descriptor of who Mary is. Part of her, her uh, identity is going to be kind of placed in the next chapter of John, but her identity is one who does something for Jesus, right? And I don't know whether you've grown up in church or, or whether you're kind of new um, to kind of coming to know God, but, but some of us maybe who grew up in church, we have this identity as someone who does something for God, and that's where our starting place is. Uh, this is me totally. I, I grew up in church and maybe kind of grew up a little bit legalistic, thinking that if I did this, 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 or if I was a good person, or if I checked off this many boxes, and then somehow that would be my identity as a person who does something for God. I just got to say it. I'm a pastor. I get paid to do things for God, okay? And it's really easy to make that my identity, Billy asked me before, he's like, is lead pastor the right title for you? Like, is that an acceptable, like, way for me to introduce you? I was like, sure, I, I don't know. Like, I guess it's on a business card, so sure. Like, I made up the, I made it, I made it up. I said, what, what, what should I be, oh, lead pastor, that sounds good. And maybe you've done this before, and in your life, you kind of, as you think about what God wants from you, you start to try to think, okay, first and foremost, I am somebody who does something for God. We'll see that God transforms that, right? Because ultimately, Mary doesn't do anything compared to what Jesus is about to do for her. Jesus is the one who brings resurrection into her life. Verse 3, we see these sisters Send word to Jesus. Now, I just love this picture. Can you, they didn't have Facebook or email or texting. They didn't like text Jesus. Hey, Jesus, smiley face emoji. Can you come heal our barfing face emoji? Sick brother. No, no, that's not like they send word to Jesus. They call on Jesus, which by the way, now, if you call on Jesus, it's called prayer. But, but at this time, they're just calling a friend to say, hey, uh, you seem like you have the power of God. Could you come and help us out? And as the story starts with them calling on Jesus, and the story ends with what? Jesus calling on Lazarus. See, sometimes we start the story, right, with thinking about us doing something for God, us calling on the name of God, us providing something, telling Jesus what to do. And the story ends with Jesus, the only one who can call out a dead person. Verse 4, hindsight's twenty twenty is what they say, um, but paying attention is also good. I don't know whether you've ever tried this before. I'm not suggesting that you do, and especially if you're a young person in the room, um, I have to put this like little caption on the sermon saying, do not try this at home. Like, can you imagine just for a second, like taking spray paint and spraying your windshield, like go out to your car, spray your windshield, and then use your rear view mirrors to drive. Um, some of us kind of believe this. Um, we are people that base everything that we're going to do in the future on what we've seen in the past. Make sense? Some of us do that. Have you been hurt in a relationship in the past? Well, then in the future, you're going to be very careful with your heart. 
Have you ever made a mistake financially? Yeah, you, you see that in your past, and then you look to the future, and you're very careful with your money. But none of us would say that every time you make a decision that you should just look only at the past. We have a vision, a future that God has for us that he wants us to be able to see beyond the past. This is where hope comes in. Hope is a faith moment where we are able to see something beyond what just makes sense in our earthly world. The saying is hindsight is twenty twenty, and yet at the same time, paying attention also is important. In verse 4, Jesus is giving this very clear moment to his disciples. There, there's sometimes when Jesus talks, he kind of talks in parables or riddles and kind of makes uh, kind of uh, comments to his disciples that are meant to like make them think, right? He like talks to them in a way that's just like, okay, I'm going to say this, I'm going to put this out there, and it won't make sense until later. Or he, I'm going to put this out there so that then you can argue about it so I can reveal what's really going on in your heart. And then there's other times that Jesus says stuff that he's just like, Okay, I'm going to make it real plain and simple here. And this is one time. In verse 4, he says, this sickness is not going to end in death. The story is not going to end in death. Right? No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, maybe it would have been helpful if the disciples had a Grace City notebook and they could write down what Jesus said right then and go, oh, yes, yes, of course, Jesus. Now, I have to be honest and say, Sometimes we can get it up here, but we don't get it in here, right? I think this is one of those times for the disciples. Were they there? Were they present? Were they listening? Maybe. But God takes them through this process for them to really get the heart of God. And he repeats this later, right? He tells them what as he's praying. God, I, I'm praying to you, Father, and, and I'm just revealing this, what's really going on. Verse 6. This is the part that, uh, excuse me, verse 5. This is a, a part that maybe a lot of us take for granted. Uh, just, it just says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, period. Now, out of John 11, um, probably a lot of us, if you grew up in church, you remember a few things about John 11. Maybe some of us have gone, yeah, I can memorize scripture. Jesus wept. All right, that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Got it. A lot of us never um, even thought about this verse. A lot of us maybe haven't memorized this verse, and maybe we should. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We're getting closer and closer to the heart of God, what's going on. Now, before we say, yeah, 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 Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're not really that special. Jesus loves everybody. You know, have you ever like, felt like that before? It's like if someone says, God loves you. And I go, yeah, 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 well, he has to love everybody. So it's like not that big of a deal. Maybe this would make sense to us a little bit more if, if we, instead of reading Martha's name, read our own name. Jesus loves Tim and his kids. It's, it's, it gets real personal. I, I don't know about you, but 
Have you ever thought in Scripture how many people it says specifically that Jesus loved this person? It's very few people actually that get a shout out or a call out in Scripture is just simply saying, now Jesus loved them. And then this part blows our minds and makes us a little bit annoyed at Jesus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there two more days. <laughs> Do you have a person that's like always late in your family? Okay, I don't know. You don't have to like point or nudge the person sitting next to you. Please do not. Um, we trust in the Holy Spirit to provide enough guidance and nudging without you doing it, okay? Um, I don't know what we do with this sometimes, but sometimes we disconnect these two things, right? Jesus loving them and like feeling the love of God poured out and specifically placed on somebody and then God does something to take us off, to annoy us, right? I mean, this is what it says. It says he loves them, and yet he hears that Lazarus is sick and stays where he's at two more days. Is Jesus really, really forgetful? Is he careless? No, I think he's actually rather intentional He's not there presently in that moment, but as we'll find out, his love is actually chasing after them. And sometimes, sometimes when it comes to love, waiting makes things even sweeter. The story then goes throughout the uh, chiastic prism of verses 25 to 26. We could continue going on and doing more and more details, and you can maybe do this at home with the rest of chapter 11. But I want us to kind of zoom in on really the heart of what Jesus is getting to here. Verses 25 to 26. This is where Jesus is talking to Martha. He's actually come and arrived and having this conversation with Martha, and he's saying to her, what? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Do you get it? He's talking to somebody whose brother is dead, that there's going to be life even if there's death. And whoever lives, there's talking to somebody who's living and believes in me will never die. Do you get it? That's what Jesus is saying. Do you, do you believe this? Do you get it? And her response is kind of heady. Her, her response still is up here. But then out of this, Jesus brings transformation. I think the best illustration that I can bring to this is that of a prism. For the science geeks in the room, you know what a prism is. It's this triangular, kind of three-dimensional shape that then when light comes through it, it actually separates out the wavelengths of light so that then you could see uh, a rainbow come through it. For those who are not so geeky, you might remember Pink Floyd and the Dark Side of the Moon cover art, supposedly one of the greatest cover arts of all time. You'll see a triangle with some light and a rainbow, okay? There you go, science lesson for the day. But the, the beauty of a prism and helping us understand this is that actually with white light, all of the wavelengths of a rainbow are in it. I know, it's crazy. Okay, so when we see this white light come through, 
is only one kind of color that we only see, which is just the combination of all of them, which is white. And then when it comes through the prism, we actually are able to see more clearly the spectrum of seeable light come out. And this is what the middle of a chiasm does. It's, it's amazing. Is as the story comes through, the middle of a heart of God, which is the resurrection back from the dead that Jesus offers, then out of that we start to see some new wavelengths of what God has been up to the whole time. So we'll go back in reverse order. Is Jesus really far off? It's Jesus really far off. And as he brings us through the prism of his resurrection, we find in the next verses that Jesus is just digging and digging and digging, taking off layers of armor, getting to the rawest part of the heart of Mary and Martha. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is actually getting closer than anyone has ever been to them. He, he's coming to the things and the place where everyone else wants to stay away from. And, and maybe, maybe you've been in this situation before, and, and unfortunately, as part of my job as a pastor, is I get to do a lot of funerals and different things. And, and if you've ever been around a funeral... There's a lot of kind of surface talk. You don't talk about the hard things. You try to kind of put like this little like cookie glaze over top of a dead body and it's, it's something that everyone sees through but doesn't want to talk about. And Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He comes right to the point. He, he comes right to death. He doesn't say, hey, Mary, how's the weather been? Good, okay. Martha, I know that you've been wanting that new house. How's it going? No, he, he doesn't, he comes straight to, do you really believe in resurrection? Do you really believe that God has the power to do something even in death? Jesus goes for the jugular and he even goes right into opening up the tomb. I love Mary and Martha, by the way. Martha is kind of this straight-laced kind of character. We think of her as being like the organized one of the family that wants to be on time, right? And we even see this and as you read through John 11, that she is the one who comes to Jesus first, and Mary is all emotional, and then literally the people are worried about Mary because she gets up really fast, and they're like, oh, no, she's freaking out. What's she going to do? And she's like, going to meet Jesus, but their reaction is like that Mary is going to go do something crazy at the tomb, and you get to watch Mary, okay? And Jesus, as he's talking with Martha and Mary, he comes close to their hearts in different ways. I don't know whether you notice this or not. It's not one size fits all. It's Jesus comes and comes to the heart of the matter. With Martha, it's kind of taking away those layers of preparedness and it making sense. And when he talks to Martha, he's like, okay, time to take the stone away. And Martha goes, don't you know how this works, Jesus? Do I need to give you an education about what happens when things die? You've seen roadkill? This is worse. It's bigger, okay? It's going to smell way bad. And Jesus goes, no, you don't get it. 
That's where I go. There may be some of us who are like Martha. We need, we need to let God into that. Is Jesus really far off? Not at all. He comes closer and closer and closer. As we see God's love go through the prism of Jesus' resurrection, we see that Jesus is really getting to the heart of us so he can transform us, so he can bring us back to life. The joke, yeah, 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 you aren't that special. Jesus loves everyone. Jesus comes and he cries with them. And maybe you've, you've seen that before. There's a difference, right? When you cry around somebody. Now, I'm not talking about you, you, know, you, you right there. I, I can tell you are a crier. Yes, burly man right there. Yes, I'm talking to you, okay? Um, now, I know when you, like, watch kids' movie, you just, <laughs> it just gets messy, man. I'm sorry. I know you're just allergic to the seat cushion. I, I, I know, like, no, we're not talking about that kind of crying. That's just kind of a, a light heart. It's like Jesus weeps. It doesn't say Jesus had a twinkle in his eye. Uh, okay, like that's not the Jesus that we worship and we know. The Jesus we worship and know is the one who shows up and is deeply, deeply sympathetic, deeply moved by death. And Jesus knows how it's going to turn out. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus knows how the scene ends. Jesus knows how the movie ends. And still, he's deeply moved and weeps with them. That is love. The depth of Jesus' love is seen as he goes through that. If we're paying attention, we see that all of these things that are kind of pictured in the beginning of the chapter are then made and emphasized as being more complete. Again, they're calling on Jesus, and now Jesus is calling on the dead person to come to life. And maybe sometimes we felt like that before, where you just felt like you're praying and praying. And praying. Anyone ever felt like this? And maybe it's helpful sometimes to hear somebody who's a pastor say this, of going, like, I felt like I've prayed and prayed and prayed and just felt like there's points in my life where I just felt like either it's my own sin or the sin of others or things going on that I just go like, God, I just feel completely prayed out and I'm dead. I don't feel good enough to talk to you anymore, God. I, I don't even feel worthy to, to ask. And Jesus goes, that's okay. You don't have to call on me. I, I will call on you. You don't even have to be alive. And Jesus says, guess what? I, I call you out of that. It's a beautiful picture of what God is doing. Sickness doesn't end in death. I just want us to, to try this with this scripture this morning. I want us to kind of look at ourselves through this lens. We're going to look at it in three different ways. One is just kind of on a personal level. One is on a personal level. One is on a relational level. One is on a church level. So let's start with a kind of a personal level. Where are you at today? Are you coming into this room kind of wanting to get your coffee, wanting to get your um, family meet and greet time on? What are you like? Are, are you coming into this room to kind of check off a list? 
or coming into this room really desiring for God to do something in your life? See, the heart of God, the center of all mankind, the center of all of history comes down to this one thing of resurrection. And what are we going to do with it? All of history before Jesus Christ is giving a picture of this event of him coming to die for our sins, to take our place, to take our sickness and say, yeah, guess what? It's going to be a whole lot worse than just some little bit of sin. Everything is going to die. And if you're in this room, I have some bad news for you. I'm not a doctor, but I am 100% sure that you are going to die. And before you go like, oh, I just, just got to put it this way. The mortality rate of being a human is 100%. It's true. And, and while sometimes when we look at young people or, and they think, oh, it's such a tragedy that they die. Guess what? The human race is in a tragedy where our sickness, our sin, is causing death all around us. And you don't have to watch the news for very long to figure it out. Seems bad, but it's going to get worse. And maybe personally, you finally come to the place where you go, I don't even know what to say anymore. I don't even know what to pray anymore. God, will you just do this? I don't even understand. And maybe even you've read this Bible before and you go, God, I just, I feel like I get it up here, but I don't get it here. What are you doing? God, I know that you love me. I've, I've sang Jesus loves me to myself and my kids so many times. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I get it up here. But God, you just seem far away. I have good news for you. If we start to look through the prism of Jesus' resurrection, we will start to see the wavelengths of what God is doing and has been doing for a long time. I want you just to do that in your own life right now. What are some things that have been sick in you that God is pointing you to an ultimate heavenly home and healing. I just, if you're taking notes, I just want, what is one sin, what is one sickness that's been just kind of bugging you and eating at you and bringing you to death that God all along has been writing a story, not of death, but of life? What, if, you're, if you're taking notes, what are some things that you've just been praying to God for and just seems like you're calling him and asking him and it just seems like psh, the line's busy or that, that God just is not there. Maybe for once, if you look through the prism of resurrection, what would God say to you and say, no, no, I want you to see this. This is what I'm really revealing to you about my heart. What, what is something that as Jesus is loving you, and his unbroken love is just chasing after you, and, and you need to read yourself into Scripture as one who Jesus loves, if you really trace the line of what Jesus is doing, would you be able to see a wavelength that Jesus has been loving you for a real long time and he plans to love you forever? Would you be able to see that? Then maybe just the closeness of Jesus would be made real to us personally. Those times when we feel like, man, God is just far off, like, Heaven is far off. God, Jesus is like so, like, I know he's there for me, but like, I, I just don't feel his presence right now. 
Maybe if we go through those seasons with a new vision, understanding of what God is doing through the resurrection, we would see that, no, he's not actually far off. He's peeling away our armor to get closer than anyone else. What are some ways that maybe you've been fighting against that? See, it's nice to talk about the love of God or to think about um, this kind of love that God has for us and go, yeah, 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 I get it. And what God really wants from you and me personally is just to kind of do some heart surgery. And he reveals those things. So this morning, I I just want to ask you, what, what is he... What is he shedding light on today in a new way for you? I pray, and this is, this is my prayer for you today, is just simply to say that God would just open our eyes, that as we see our life through resurrection, he will be able to give us ability to see all of the wavelengths of what he's doing. Now, I said we need to also kind of look at it in a kind of relationship way. So some of us have experienced um, this going, okay, okay, I I feel like God is making me alive again. I feel like God is transforming me. I've accepted Jesus' resurrection on my behalf, and yet all these other people around me are dead. That's great, Tim. It's nice that I have this for me, but you don't know my family. Okay, that's nice, Pastor, but you don't work the place that I do. Okay, that's really great that we have this time in church where it's like this, but out in the real world, things are dead. And this is where we need to start seeing some things relationally. The gospel is not just good news to one of us. It's a good news for the entire world. And so as we see what God has been doing, there is this story that is so much bigger that we need to invite people into. And again, if your first time here today or if you're, you're new to kind of uh, reading scripture, I just want to challenge you, keep digging. And this is what you're going to see. You're going to see an invitation to life time and time and time again. Jesus does this with his own disciples. And again, sometimes we kind of get down on the disciples because, I mean, can you imagine they get to spend three and a half years like camping with Jesus and they still didn't get it, okay? Three, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone to college and you're like, three and a half years, psh, I got my master's in that time, no problem. Got it, good. No, like, they got to like eat and kind of fellowship with and listen to all of Jesus' teachings. They didn't have to like listen to the podcast or watch the live stream. They were there, okay? And they're with Jesus, and still, they're not getting it. It's only after, by the way, they see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that they're like, oh, now I see. And this is the beautiful thing about chiasm, by the way. It's love language. As some of you men out there may know, or some of you women too, but a lot of us, we get into kind of what we can call shop talk, where in a relationship, you're like, all right, who's picking up the kids? All right, who's making dinner? Okay, who's going to work at this time? Who's got the car? Okay, what's the finances going? And we get kind of all these shop talk moments where we figure out the organization of the day, and we're good, we're good, all right, shake on it. And all of us would go, that's not what love really is like. But it's what we turn it into a lot of times, right? And Jesus here, 
in, in the book of John, and, and John himself, he describes himself as the person, the disciple that Jesus loves. He doesn't even say his own name in the book of John. Now, if I were writing the book, I'd be like, this is the lead pastor Tim wrote this book for everybody to read. That's, that's my lack of humility, but it's also our lack of vision of seeing the most important thing. See, the language of what God is trying to speak to us and through us speak to others is not a fight. It's not a, a, a trying to like prove somebody else wrong. It's not a like trying to cram the Bible down somebody's throat who doesn't really want it. What it is, is a romancing language where Jesus is all the while saying, no, 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 I got to remind you, I love you. You are loved. You are meant to be my child. You are called. I am calling you from death to life because I love you. I want you to be a part of my family. This is much more, um, how to put it, desirable language than somebody coming and telling you that you're wrong or telling you if you only figured out these things up here. By the way, there's a saying that says, what you win them with, you win them too. And I've seen this so much, um, not just at FCC, but just um, in my own life and elsewhere that sometimes we, we try to talk people into becoming a Christian, following Jesus. And people that are talked into it or reason their way into it oftentimes turn around and try to talk other people and reason other people into it. And we have to almost unlearn some of the ways that we were brought to Christ because really what God is getting to is our heart, not our head. So in your relationships, are you romancing people like Jesus did? Are you leaving room for patience? Are you sometimes saying it out loud, I love you and God loves you? See, this is what really works to, to revive dead things. Um, I just want to be honest with you of saying, I've seen this play out in too many families. I've seen uh, couples that have ended in divorce um, that both of uh, them were Christians, but somehow they just, just allowed their relationship to die. But I've also seen the amazing power of God destroy sin and destroy the desire for divorce. I've seen people that have been Christians that have still struggled with sin and abuse and all sorts of ugly, nasty stuff. But I've also seen Christians who have died to themselves, followed Christ wholeheartedly. And the difference is this. The difference is whether they have allowed the resurrection of God to seep into their hearts. So I don't care how bad your marriage is. If the resurrection of God gets in there, it will transform it and bring it back to life. I don't care how bad your relationship with your parents or your kids are. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is introduced to that, and that gets into the heart of your family, it will transform you and bring you back to life. 
I don't care how dead and mean and evil even your coworkers are or the real world out there is, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is introduced to that, people will be wooed to the heart of God and transformation will come and life will come. That's really what we offer. And finally, I just want to put this in kind of a church terms. The word church, by the way, is just a word, ecclesia, which means a group or gathering of people that are just bonded by this resurrection of Jesus Christ. And some of you in the room grew up at FCC, and maybe you <laughs> grew up hiding in the baptistry, or, or maybe some of you have maybe bad memories even from FCC where, I, I, I don't know, you were hurt or wounded Maybe some of you grew up at another church and the same thing happened to you there. It's just like you felt wounded or hurt or you see the sin. And maybe some of you just from the outside looking in have looked in at church and gone, you know what, church, church is an awful place. I believe God wants to transform that through his resurrection. And this is the interesting thing of our story at FCC is... There's been a lot of hurt there. There's been a lot of wounds there. There have been a lot of times that we've just been in a place where, you know, you just listen to the hurt. And that develops over time. It's not that FCC is any different than any other church. It's that we've got 60 years of hurt built up. And the tendency sometimes for us is just to let it build and let it build and let it build and it becomes crushing in the church, we have the opportunity to encourage each other to take our sin and our sickness and go, it's real, but we need to see what God is going to do with it. This is not the end. And this is my hope for FCC where I get to serve is that, you know, God takes what is old and he takes it and he transforms it into life. He takes something that could be dead and he transforms it into life. And this is the message for Grace City of going, sometimes there's going to be that relationship, that person that you're sitting next to that you're like, that person ticks me off. I do not like that person. That person sweats too much. I don't know what it is, but they are going to be somebody that you're just like, oh my goodness, I didn't know I could feel this way. And it's in church. And you know what you need to do? You need to look through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and go, you know what? I bet you if we look through to the end and we are singing in heaven, guess what? It transforms things. It transforms things like racism. Where if we are able to look through our problems and our context now and realize that in heaven it says that all nations, all tongues are going to be singing God together and English is not going to be like the main section, we can understand that there's life that we have to offer. Are we looking through the prism? See, it makes a lot of things make more sense where, for example, church planting, where we go out and risk and take a giant leap of faith and go, well, I don't know whether this is going to work. We never had anybody in the auditorium of this high school before. I hope someone shows up, please, Lord. If we're able to look through that and see not just an earthly church that has a, a nice steeple and, and the kids area and all these beautiful things, that's not the goal. The goal is people that are going to be transformed and alive in heaven, and that is worth risking everything for. 
See, when we look through the prism as a church, guess what? We start rallying together and realizing it's not FCC counting numbers and going, okay, we're beating Grace City this week. (laughs) Okay? It's not us looking through and going, oh, no, they had revival there. And what are we going to do? We need to think of some kind of marketing strategy. Catch up. That is not what is going to happen in the end. The end is simply this, is that we are made alive in Christ. And that becomes much more exciting, by the way. See, when people hate church, they don't hate that. They don't hate us gathering together people from all over the... Do you know what they hate? They hate dead things. They hate opening up the tomb and feeling like, okay, i got to walk in again and smell you. Isn't that what we hate? What we really love, though, is when God has awoken us and is telling this wonderful, long-lasting story. I like how John Eldred says it. He says this, A wound that goes unacknowledged and unwept is a wound that cannot heal. See, some of us want to avoid it. We want to avoid the whole thing. We don't want to get emotional. We don't want to talk about the dead things. We don't want to go there. And the reality is is God wants to go there in your life, in the relationships that you're talking to or living in, and definitely in our churches. God wants to go there. God wants to talk about it because we're all wounded. You walked into this room with a wound And if you are not saying that you're wounded, by the way, you're lying and don't lie in church. Come on. See, a wound that goes unacknowledged and unwept, this is God's story. He's he's saying, yeah, I know you're wounded. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I know you're wounded. Let's cry about it. Just Jesus doesn't leave us there, though, right? He walks us through that so that he can heal us and offer us ultimate healing. As the band comes up, I just want to close with this quote from Francis Chan. He says this, God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. I want to ask, are you loving well? Are you weaving your life into God's unbroken love story of all time? Are you in your family bringing yourself back to life and love? Scripture says that we we will be known that we are followers of Jesus if we love. That's the definition of winning. Are you focusing and seeing God's spectrum of love played out in your life? I pray that you are. And I just want to say this. This is a risky thing. This is a risky thing because it goes everything completely opposite of our world. Some of those out there, it may be best to kind of come back to this prism idea. All the while, you're trying to wake people up to going, there's a whole world of colors. And they're like, no, there's not. You don't understand. You don't see it. And we need to wake people up, ourselves included, that God's love is transformational. And if God wakes that up in our hearts, that's what really matters. Are you telling a love story? Are you receiving God's love story of transformation through his resurrection? Would you pray with me?
God, I just, uh, I just ask, Heavenly Father, would you transform something in us? God, maybe we walked into this room with some wounds, um, some just um, hate maybe. God, maybe we have that um, in our family, in our work relationships, in our school. Um, God, may, maybe even sometimes when we come into church, we just feel our brokenness and the stench of one another. God, would you allow us to see transformation through your love story? That out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can see and know the hope of eternal life. And God, you just are asking us this morning, do you believe this? And God, we're called to just respond with where we're at. So God, I just pray for those in the room that need healing, that need life. God, just would you tell your story again and again in them? God, I pray for the marriage in this room that needs healing, that needs life. I pray for the parents and the children in this room that need healing and need new life. God, I pray for our churches, not just Grace City, not just FCC, but God, your church, that we would measure our existence as your church by how we love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.